Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expand upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about open hardware paired with open software. Let's get into episode 35. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today is Nate, our guru of OpenSUSE and secret lover of Arch, and <laughs> Matt, everybody's gaming hero. Maybe zero. <laughs> gaming zero. Well played on the plug for Nate still using Arch, and regardless of whether or not he wants to admit it. I know. It was a fun one. I just came up with that one. I told you guys when we were planning on our secret that I had no creativity left. That gem just came to me. So, by the way, Nate, how's Arch? Don't know. I haven't used it in a long time. <laughs> Except for every time you fire up your Steam Deck. Except that Steam OS it doesn't say Arch on there anywhere. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that. Now, Nate's not the only one with hardware that he loves. You are selling some hardware to make space and replacing it with something else. Yeah, so I have a custom-built desktop right now. It's one of the mid-sized ATX cases, so it's not like a huge space that it takes up. But I also have one, two, three, four consoles and the desktop on my desk on either side of the monitor, plus the microphones, plus all the peripheries to enable everything else to you know do streaming and all that fun stuff. So there's a lot of wires and a lot of clutter, and... I am getting rid of the desktop because Mini's forum came out with a system that I finally wanted. And I had been, Nate's heard me whine about this constantly that I love AMD systems, but I want something better than integrated graphics. It's just a whole gamer thing. The Steam Deck's the exception, Nate, before you even start going down that route, because I know you're going to try to throw that in my face. <laughs> I'm not going to try to throw anything in your face. I can't even see your face. So how could I even throw anything in your face? Come on, man. This is a podcast. Verbally. Verbally. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I made a very big deal out of the last time you bought a piece of hardware because you said you weren't going to anymore. We even did a flashback to you saying yeah. that you weren't going to be getting new hardware, all of that fun stuff. So this is where that is coming from because he knows that I like to give him a hard time when he's like, yeah, I don't need anything else. I'm just happy with everything I've got <laughs> right now. Other than the Steam Deck, I'll be buying that because I already pre-ordered it. And then, well. Yeah, it lasted about four weeks. <laughs> but it lasted about maybe four weeks. Though, to be fair, I absolutely love the idea of a system like this that does have AMD all around. It is very, very hard to find a laptop or some of these pre-built systems that have AMD graphics cards in them. Mm -hmm. And with my time with NVIDIA graphics cards and using Linux and it's specifically for laptops, and I actually had a conversation about this, not just for Linux itself, but other people in my real world life that have had issues with NVIDIA graphics cards on laptops in general. It's just not a great experience overall. AMD is so much better in this field, especially with the openness of their drivers. I cannot wait for you to tell us how this is running. Yeah, so what I plan on doing with this is I plan on using, there's a ISO image called Hollow ISO, 
that is a unofficial re-implementation of SteamOS. And I'm going to try and see how well it runs on this particular machine because that'll give me my quote-unquote gaming mode as, you know, the very console-esque kind of deck UI and everything else. But having used the deck for a lot of stuff, I know what I can and can't do as far as on the desktop end. It will fulfill basically like 90% of what I need to do. So I'm okay with any of that aspect of it. The specs, though, for the cost is what I love the most, because this is running on a Ryzen 9 uh, 5900 HX, has an AMD Radeon RX 6600M, so it's a mobile GPU, but 8 gigs of RAM on that. 32 gigs of RAM is the version I bought, and I got a 512 NVMe with it, and that was under $1,000. Sounds like a really solid machine for a decent price. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a great machine. And the fact that it's small, that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, e-machines from you know, late in e-machines life. Remember e-machines? I do. They had like those cheap, small ones that were tilted in a diamond formation looking thing, or like a, mm-hmm. instead of a square. Kind of reminds me of that. Except with the neat engraving on the side. Not that I think that I think this looks like it's a cheap e-machine. It just re- happened to remind me of the e-machine. No, no, the, the form factor. I know what you mean. Yeah. In the market of getting rid of the desktop, the full bore desktop that, you know, ironically, six months ago, I just bought a new GPU for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you said you weren't going to buy anything at all. But yeah, I got it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Actually, the GPU thing I had talked to Wendy about, and we discussed <laughs> that for quite a while, actually, haven't we, Wendy? Like, <laughs> I'll send you my old one when I get a chance. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That was a major bonus for me because I ended up with an upgraded graphics card from him buying that one so I really didn't give him a whole lot of crap on that one. Good point. I I withdraw my my crap giving on that map. She got an upgraded Vega 64 and uh, whatnot so you know back off. No, no, you're right. You're right. Absolutely right. But for me, literally, it's just mostly a space constraint issue. Um, I, I kind of shared a picture on the Discord with you guys. And as you can tell, my desk is a bit cluttered, to say the least. <laughs> so the space is really more needed than anything else just because of how limited my desk spacing is. You know, Wendy, it's like uh, what Zeb used to try to do when he had like the two 43-inch monitors or whatever he had going on for a while. Yeah. He had like another desk basically just for the monitor. I don't have that luxury of having the other desk, so I have to kind of work within my constraints. And To be fair, my desk is 20 square feet in size, and it's not big enough. Plus, we now have two inside cats that have decided that when I'm at my desk working, they need to be asleep on my desk. I do have a picture of one sleeping on my keyboard, so that takes up a chunk of it as well. So you can always need a bigger desk. It doesn't matter what your system looks like, you'll collect more stuff. So this is what I think is going to happen. You're going to get this smaller overall desktop computer, and then there's going to be more gaming systems that needed to be added to your desk because, oh my gosh, look at all of this space I have to fill. Well, see- And next thing you know- you won't have space on your desk again. Well, see, luckily that can't happen because the outlets and stuff, I don't have enough for the other systems. <laughs> so. Oh, hmm. I am sure you would figure it out. Uh, No, that's why the other ones sit behind me on my other area, you know, my <laughs> filing cabinet and stuff with the TV over there. No, I can't. Trust me. I've tried. <laughs> You've so tried. they make these things, Matt. I don't know if you heard of them. They're like a surge suppressor, like a six outlet surge suppressor. 
they're great. And then you can put more things on one plug. I promise you it works well. I've been using it for over a couple of decades now. It's more, I'm trying to avoid using extension cores and everything else. Yeah, yeah, sure. I get it. I get it. And then you also <laughs> have the limited reach of, you know, the power supplies from said consoles. There's also that limiting factor too. Sounds like you need a bigger place. Right now I hear excuses to not make it happen. And then later we'll hear excuses of how he made it happen. Well, yeah, I procrastinate. So I'm going to procrastinate. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to come up with excuses. That's why we blame it on Nate. So it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Well, good luck with your e-machine. It would still be more <laughs> modern than your actual Commodore 64. But not as cool. <laughs> Debatable. So while I'm messing around with smaller desktop computers and everything, Nate, you seem to have found a way to inadvertently close things, namely K-mail. Yes, sort of. So what had happened was I've been using Kmail now for as my primary email client since like 2004. I've tried other email clients. I just don't like them as much. I can't say exactly why. I don't like the others as much. I mean, I'll even take Kmail and all its little features over anything that Google offers in their um, Gmail suite thing. So anyway, one of the things I really like about Kmail is the message list tabs. So you can have multiple tabs with different message lists in them, you know, based on whatever it is, you can have like different searches in each one or, or really anything like your outbox, your sent mail, your different inboxes, whatever you want to do there. I use that quite a lot. And what I did was I inadvertently closed the tab and then I couldn't remember how I opened the thing in the first place. Now, it would be nice if maybe it was a little more a front and center option as opposed to being something that's buried in the menus. But so I didn't forget where it was I decided I would make a note to myself on cubeconlate.com where the Kmail message list tabs were. And, you know, for the benefit of those that are listening, you go to view, message list, create new tab. Actually, it's very easy to find, really. It makes sense where it is. I just couldn't find it. Anyway, so as a note to myself, I'm very happy that I know where it is. So now I can inadvertently close a tab again and uh, be able to open them back up if I've closed them all out. So... That was it. Nothing terribly exciting, but I was very excited. I was happy personally that I was able to figure it out. So are these tabs where you have specific messages open or different files of messages that come in from a particular sender? What are the tabs for? The tabs specifically are like, I'll have in my cubiclelight.com inbox, I'll have it open in multiple tabs. But one of them is filtering out just the Linux Saloon stuff. One is filtering out, and maybe I'm looking for specific messages from a specific person and another one. And then when I get new mail, as I invariably do, I have that tab open as well or other inboxes. But that's really basically what I use it for. So I can very quickly like jump between them and whatnot without creating another folder. I can just use a tab and put in some filtration rules. Now that sounds awesome. I haven't used a mail app in a very, very long time other than on my phone. It just seems so fast in order to get it directly from the web browser. But I like that idea. It might be something that I need to start using again instead of just the browser option. Yeah, and Kmail has actually had a bit of a rough run, I would say, for a while because when they changed the database, the Ekinati database, whatever it's called, I might be saying it wrong, but there were some issues sometimes like the database thing would kind of get all goofed up and wouldn't download your messages and whatnot. I haven't had a problem in a long time with it. I think that they've worked out a lot of the bugs over time. So it seems to work really well. I'm very happy with it. Like I'm extremely happy with the mail client again and the calendaring app portion of it. The contacts piece of it, 
not so happy about that, but that's another conversation for another time. Wendy, it sounds like you've had a heck of a good educational time with a recent field trip. Yeah. So before I was telling you guys that we were going to get to go see inside a hydroelectric dam, and apparently the one that we went to yesterday is one that they use a lot for touring. And the one guy that showed us around, he's like fifth generation that's been working for this particular company, working with hydroelectric power. And it was really, really cool to go in and get to see some of the stuff. The kids got to ask some questions about how it works and the maintenance of these different things. I know there's a couple dams that we go to on a fairly regular basis to do some fishing at. It's one of our family fun activities. Absolutely loved that field trip. The people were awesome. We had a fantastic debrief. And then when we were done with that, the kids had a really great idea for their potential innovation project. So we'll see where that goes. Then today we had our interview with someone who works in the solar electricity field. And the worst part about that one was I had to take my microphone and all the bits and pieces that connect to it so we could do a Zoom call because this person wasn't in the same state as us. And then, of course, we're recording today, and so it was a mad rush to get home, get my mic reconnected so I'd be ready to go for the show. But both of them were really interesting. It is so cool to hear the questions that the kids come up with. They had some fantastic questions, and definitely more for the guy that works in the solar industry than they did for the hydroelectric dam. But I think some of that was they were just so overwhelmed by getting to see these bits and pieces there at the dam that it was just kind of trying to take it all in. It was a fantastic experience. I'm glad I got to be a part of it. And we're not done talking to our experts, but this gave us a really great start. I don't know that they're necessarily going to go down the route of solar energy for their innovation project because they've got one pretty well nailed down for hydroelectric. It's awesome getting to be part of robotics. Oh, for sure. I'm very interested in seeing what they do with their projects. I know you said they probably won't do solar, but it seems like a lot of that stuff is pretty inexpensive now as far as like small things are concerned. Maybe because there's tons of them in everybody's uh, junk drawers, you can get some solar powered calculators and make something cool out of that. Yeah, well, they're supposed (laughs) to take something and improve upon it or, you know, how can they make this one thing better? How can they improve either the energy output or come up with a whole new idea? Now with solar energy... It hasn't really changed much since it was first invented. Yeah, the panels themselves have definitely gotten more efficient, and there is a lot of room in that realm to make solar panels even more efficient than they are. The expense of the batteries in order to store those energies is another weak point for solar energy. So right now, most people that are buying it, especially from the companies that he runs, they are not getting the batteries. They will use what energy they are making during the day. If there's a surplus, it goes back to the grid. And then at night, they are using grid energy in order to support their homes. So there definitely are realms in there that could be improved upon and solutions that could be come up with. But based on the experts that we have available to us, And the fact that most of Idaho is run off hydroelectric power, 
it's definitely an easier realm for them to dive into because there's so many experts to pull from. That is quite cool. I didn't realize that there was so much hydroelectric in Idaho. Yeah, it's amazing how much of Idaho, especially the lower part of Idaho, anybody along the Snake River, they pretty much get almost all of their power from hydroelectric. One of the downsides of that is years like the last few years we've had, these have been drought years, the water is lower, that means there's less overall production, but that's kind of the give and take. There's always water in the Snake River, it's just not always a lot of water. They do have some... I would say backup systems, a couple plants that are using coal, and they will be switching them over from coal to natural gas here by 2026 because the water isn't always making everything we need and they don't want to worry about blackouts or brownouts. There are some wind powered plants that are also owned by our local electric company. There's some solar options that they are also using. Our current energy company that pretty much all of Idaho uses is very, very diverse in the way that they are creating power. And the goal is to have the clean power, but at the same time, make sure that it's affordable for all of the customers and we don't have to worry about brownouts. Yeah, that's great. I think brownouts are um, probably less than a fun thing to do. I'm going to go ahead and say Yeah, it would be. And as the weather gets colder, that is something that can't happen for a lot of homes. We've lost power during the winter because somebody has slid off the road, they've hit a power pole, you know, something's went down on our grid for those reasons. And if it's more than a few hours, especially in the coldest parts of the year, it's time to be looking, hey, is there a friend's house we can go stay at? Right. Because it's too cold in the house to be in here. Yeah, that's rough. I don't know how houses are there in Idaho, but Many homes here, minus mine, mine doesn't have one, which is unfortunate, have fireplaces so you can burn wood. I don't know if you have a lot of wood there in the desert. It depends on the house. The one we're in doesn't, but there are, especially a lot of the older homes that still have wood-burning fireplaces, which is a fantastic source of heat as well. You can't go pretty much anywhere in where I live in Michigan without tripping over a dead tree someplace that's fallen. So there's, (laughs) there's no end of wood to burn here. But I know that's not the case for every place. That's definitely the case around here too, though the wood is harder to get to. We've had invasive pine beetles come in and kill a lot of the trees. And so those trees are now standing fire hazards for the rest of our forest. But because those mountainous areas are so steep, they are a lot harder to get into and get that deadwood cut. A little more treacherous for sure. Yeah, absolutely. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, well, let's say complex, especially for a guy like me. But standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. Predictable pricing robust product documentation and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Get support at every stage of growth from teams of one, so just you, to teams of a thousand with simple, powerful cloud computing and growing at DigitalOcean. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. 
That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform. Go to do.co slash tux2022. Something that can also be treacherous is the world of open source hardware and software and the pairings. Now, there are some that we absolutely love, some we talk about all the time here. Raspberry Pi would be one of them, and some others that we typically don't talk so kindly about. Purism. (coughs) I mean, did I say something? But (laughs) there is a new piece of open source hardware software that's coming out that I'm actually pretty excited about. And thanks to Matt for sharing this. And this is the Juno tablet. I'm not as familiar with this company as a whole, but this piece of hardware looks awesome. How did you come across this one, Matt? Ironically, I came across this on Twitter. (laughs) Oh, wow. So Twitter does have value. Even you say it does, Nate, (laughs) if you filter it out right. I've known about Juno computers for a while. They generically, it's a lot of Clevo rebrands and, you know, the, the typical thing that we always hear complaints about when it comes to specifically Linux machines or it might be a Tongfang rebrand. This is particularly interesting to me because it's a tablet that other companies, <coughs> purism, have said they were going to do and they never did. So this is a company who, according to their current order page, was it two to four weeks, Nate, I believe is what they're currently doing Yep, for shipping, but they're not using like Linux distros that you would think they would use. They're using the mobile versions of those distros. Right now, the options are Mobian, then you have Manjaro with KDE Mobile, and then you have Manjaro with Fosh. So I find it really interesting that they're going that direction with this tablet as opposed to, you know, trying to cram a normal Linux distro on the tablet. And I think it's been a long time coming because, you know, the audience has heard me and Wendy kind of talk back and forth about using the Surface devices as computers and stuff. They're great computers, but if you use them strictly as a tablet on Linux, I'm not going to lie, the experience is not stellar. Like, yeah, the touchscreen works and the, all that stuff works. But like, if you want to poke at it, like, you know, you would like a cell phone or whatever, it doesn't, it's not as good. I'm just going to be totally real. So the fact that they're using software design specifically for that implementation, I find is the right call to do. And the fact they're very open about what's working, what's not. They took a very Pine 64 approach when it comes to describing what's working, what's not, etc. It's definitely an interesting piece of hardware. It's not a powerhouse. So if you're expecting like, oh, I want a quad core i7 crammed into a tablet, go buy a Surface. <laughs> like That's just going to be what right. it is. This is very much, it's Intel hardware. It's eight gigs of RAM up to one terabyte NVMe from what it looks like, and you have those three previous mentioned options for a distro choice. And the price, realistically, is not that terrible. It starts at 429 with a 256 gig SSD. If you bump it up to a terabyte, it's still under 500. So that would be a piece of hardware specifically designed for Linux under a reasonable cost. Because that's the biggest thing we always, you know, some of us complain about is I want to buy from, you know, a System76 or whatever, but I don't want to pay the markup that is necessary given what they put into it. But some of us have a more finite budget than we can really allow us to purchase those machines. 
Yeah, I think for sure it seems like a great deal to me. I mean, $480 for a computer, essentially. I mean, it's a tablet, but yeah, it's a computer tablet. That's x86 based, so you don't have to deal with the weirdness that is ARM, the inconsistencies in ARM. Eight gigabytes of RAM. I think it's not bad. Sure, it's soldered on, but I mean, it's a tablet. An SSD at one terabyte at $480. 1080p screen. I think that that's actually a really good deal. I mean, there's lots of things you can do with that. I'm just thinking just right off the top of my head, it could be like an ad hoc secondary screen if you're working on something using like, you know, VNC or, or something like that. There are ways to make it a screen for them to communicate back and forth. They have Plasma Mobile for Manjaro, that Fosh or Hosh as well, and Moblin. I think those are fine choices. I'm not sure why they forgot to put OpenSUSE Tumbleweed on there. Since they do have, there's a build for the Pine phones. So they do have a Plasma Mobile builds going on already. And, you know, June, I'd be glad to uh, test that for you and, and work on it. I'm more than happy if, you know, if someone is happy to listen to this. I think it's a great little device. I'm not in the market for one right now. I've got a lot of other things I'm working on. But please allow two to four business weeks for delivery. That's not unreasonable. It's on pre-order. And if I were in the market right now, I would absolutely jump on that. One of the things that I like about this system is it does have pressure sensitivity on multiple levels. You can get the add-on of a pen for another $22. And I do have an Android tablet that I use almost all the time. And the pen feature is one of my favorite features about this device. I was even using it for taking notes during the conversation that we were having with the guy about the solar industry and solar panels today. I use it for notes absolutely all the time. My daughter does different art things on it. Back to the comment that Matt had made where they chose to use an Intel Celeron processor instead of an ARM processor, I do find very interesting too. And the fact that with this hardware choice, they very easily could have gone with one of those standardized distributions where it's a little bit of everything, but choosing once again to go with a very specific UI that has been laid out for mobile devices. And it'll probably be just a little bit easier, I think, in order to have some of these working better. Because I know part of the problem that people have had with the different ARM-related devices is they are all so different. This is a processor that's been out for a long time. That's already a very large code base based around it and in using it. So hopefully that'll help make it run better, more efficient. I do enjoy playing with my Pine phone. It's an awesome little device, but one of the things that keeps me from using it as a daily driver device is the speed of it overall. It's slow. Applications are slow to launch. To be fair, there's some other applications that I do use that currently are not available on that platform. And maybe if I spent more time on it, I could find very good alternatives in order to fit in that usability for me. But the biggest killer of it is just how slow everything is to launch. And while I don't say I'm on my phone all the time, when I need something on it, I do need to get with it. I do need this app to just open. I do need to be able to access the information, make that phone call, whatever, without it lagging and taking forever. And this one seems like it has a really good base in order to have a smooth running system on it, whereas the standard Pine phone, in my experience, has not. I don't know about the upgraded version of it, the pro version of the Pine phone. I haven't really talked to anybody who has one, has played with it, and can actually compare 
the speeds between the two because I am interested. I know the Pro got pretty nice upgrade when it comes to the hardware that it's using. Now, 8 gigs of RAM, I think, in this is still the absolute minimum for a device. You're probably going to have a lot of web apps open, the potential of having a lot of other applications open. And so it's nice to see that they're giving you at least a good base level RAM for that. And if they do pretty good, you could potentially end up with more. I would love to see how Krita would work on this. It's the application my daughter does a lot of art and drawing with on their current tablet that we have right now. It's part of the reason why she needs her own because it's on a regular basis. Like almost every day I'm like, hey, where did my tablet go? (laughs) And one of my children has it. I never have actually my device in hand. So all of theirs need upgraded. And this is maybe not the route we're going down right now, but I think is a route we could potentially go down later. If the processor was just a little bit better, I'd probably be more likely to jump on it. Price-wise, I think this fits really well into the other mainstream tablets that you're going to get that actually have decent functionality. Yeah, so the pricing that I'm seeing for this is what you would pay, like you mentioned, Wendy, for the mid-range Samsung tablets. They're not cheap, like realistically. Even like the Surface Goes and all that kind of stuff, those aren't cheap either. Cheap is relative, obviously. But I think for a Linux-specific device, because that's how I'm viewing personally for these, it's actually a really good deal. I think this kind of plays into a bigger thing is devices like this and the things like what Pi64 and other companies are doing, you know, System76, Tuxedo, uh, Slimbook, Star Labs, take your pick. There's a bunch of different ones that are doing hardware as it relates to Linux. It's really about the ecosystem and stuff like this actually really does help the overall ecosystem. You know, not to mention, obviously, Valve. I'm not going to bore Wendy with... (laughs) We can't get through an episode anymore at all without them or that other thing being mentioned. What I am going to (laughs) say is that particular device and the other manufacturers, ODMs and OEMs that are working on these things specifically for Linux or with Linux in mind have made a better overall ecosystem for us from apps to hardware choices to hardware that I was always curious to see how long I was always going to have to constantly be like, oh, there's the best Linux tablet is not obviously Android. The best Linux tablet is a Microsoft product. (laughs) The fact that we're having actual Linux tablet now that is beyond ARM and, you know, x86 based is, I think, fantastic. And again, helps the overall ecosystem because that means we can start putting, maybe we can start looking at like Ubuntu Touch on x86 as opposed to specifically being developed for ARM. Because honestly, for me, just my personal opinion that I think Ubuntu Touch is the one that's the furthest developed when it comes to like the mobile space. I've played with that one a little bit. I wouldn't say I've played with it a lot overall. And it does seem that they have had a little bit better formulation just time-wise and being able to work on things. It makes me curious as to 
why they didn't use that as an option for this device. Assuming it could be an architectural reason. Um, I know a lot of the Ubuntu Touch stuff is, you know, specifically ARM. I don't know how much of it's x86 portable or whatever. And obviously it's using various aspects of the Ubuntu Touch mobile experience. So things like Lumari and all that kind of stuff might not be ready for x86. I know that's a big component. You know, I was thinking... When you're talking about Krita for your daughter, it seems like that would be an excellent usage. Like just even if it's just as an art tablet that you can interact with. To me, that seems like that would be quite worth it, really, if you're doing a lot of graphic art work. Yeah, absolutely. And we do have a couple Wacom, Wacom, however you say that company's names, tablets. And they are extremely helpful. I've used them for quite a few years when it comes to touching up images for photography. But I know my daughter has said that the quote-unquote pen directly on the screen in making art is a heck of a lot easier for her than you're looking at the screen and you're trying to line it up on this other board that's separate from your screen in order to draw, sketch, color things in. And so she has really preferred the tablet method for digital art. This one seems, especially with its pressure sensitivity, that it could be really, really nice for that. I wish I could kind of test it out, make sure the credit was on there, hand it over to her. How well does it work? Do we get to the point where things start to lag down, especially if that art thing that she's working on gets larger, that gets a lot of color, there gets to be a lot more layers? What is kind of that realm and how this works? There was another tablet, and I can't remember the name of the company. It was one of the Chinese companies that also launched earlier this year. I haven't heard much about that one since the launch. They did have an operating system that you could install on other tablets as well, and I was kind of a little leery on that one, and I can't remember exactly why. There was something about... Oh, Jing OS. Yeah, and I think there was some different tracking and stuff that couldn't be turned off. And I really don't want to invest in another operating system that is tracking where I have no control of being able to turn that off. So I've kind of really not done anything else with it. But that is another option that's out there in order to look at for tablets and the like. Yeah, for sure. If an operating system is tracking me, I really have a hard time with that, especially if it's something that's locked down and tracking me where you can't at least give me the option to shut it off or something like that. Or even the the flexibility and freedom to move to a different operating system easily, like this tablet, Juno tablet, very likely you'd be able to put a different operating system on it just because it's x86 based and so forth. So my thought is something like this, I would have a lot more confidence in, especially in the future, if I were to have something like this and do maybe some kind of artwork on or whatever. As far as the tablets out there right now, this one ranks at the top of my list. Yeah, for me too. If I was to go ahead and pick up an open source laptop right now, this would be the one to get. I would love to see some different testing and stuff run on it before I got one for sure for the kids. Because when I'm talking about our school budget for the year, and I've mentioned before that the kids' tablets have to get upgraded, as I was saying earlier, they're constantly using mine instead of theirs. (laughs) So theirs need to be upgraded, but I don't want to invest that school money that I have on something and then realize that it's not actually going to work for the things that the kids need to use it for. If it was just a piece of hardware to get to play with, to test, 
that's one thing. But there are certain criteria that it has to meet. So I'm looking forward for this to get into the hands of some of the Linux folks out there and for them to report back how it's working. One of the options I've also thought about if Raspberry Pis were more available is using them. I know there are touch screens that are available for the Raspberry Pi to use. They are a really awesome, simple, single board computer that I think would fit very, very well into building your own kind of laptop touchscreen computer with them. And they have quite a few different options when it comes to which OS you're putting on them. I don't absolutely love the stock Raspberry Pi. I don't love Debian. I do have that set up on the one right here next to me that's going to be used for the build hat. I've played with it a little bit. So it is an option. That's another way in order to get a device like this, you're still using some, I would say, quality hardware that's not super expensive, or at least wasn't super expensive before they've had this issue with supply. And at the same time, still being able to use some quality open source software on top of that. And you know that with running Plasma and all those applications that are available right now in Manjaro or any distribution for that matter, you'd have those quality applications already there for it. The only thing I don't know about is like the pressure sensitivity on the tablet and I don't know what kind of interface it uses. If it's a Wacom, Wacom, whatever interface, I believe that would all be in the kernel then already, so it wouldn't matter what distribution. But you know, if they get all that stuff worked out, absolutely fantastic piece of hardware. It's awesome to see stuff like this coming to the market. I hope to see this area grow and especially staying in options that are more affordable, that are less expensive, because we don't need phones that are supposed to be open hardware, open software that are costing $2,000 for a phone. And then you're still dealing with some of the places where parts of the software aren't working or having a hard time getting those devices once we order them. If any of you have ordered from Juno before, I'd be curious how the customer service was, what the quality of the hardware was, because I do have my eye on this tablet. And thanks once again to our listener out there that shared a way to track down Raspberry Pis. I will share a link in the description once again. So if you're looking for one, you're trying to build something with one, you can get your hands on one. And what other open hardware software combinations do you enjoy? Are you interested in or would you like to see? Make sure you're leaving us a comment and probably the easiest way to get a hold of us is on the discourse form. I know that's the one that I'm fastest to respond to instead of the YouTube comments. Can't wait to hear from you. Hello, Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we, well, that they use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password as well as additional authentication such as master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your password safe. From me, Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. $10 premium account includes one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, and TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, and Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move 
like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like my wife, Sinister Wendy, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition only starts at $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for supporting this episode of Linux Out Loud. Magneto out. Game of the Week is probably everybody's favorite or least favorite section of the show. Kind of depends on where they fall in the realm of gaming. But it is now that time again. What do you have for us, Matt? So this particular game I have for us this week is a Tom Clancy-based game. It is a Splinter Cell Blacklist. Well, currently, before they do any remakes or reboots or whatever they decide to do because it's Ubisoft, the last Splinter Cell game that they had made. I enjoy a good stealth game because sometimes you just want to engage your brain and think and figure out how to solve puzzles, basically, is kind of how I view some of these games. This is just a straightforward pretty standard you know quote-unquote action game but as far as the elements you know point shoot gun go boom you know people die kind of game but the way you can go about it and there's some interesting uh meme videos that you will see like compilations of, of people playing this game and like how they go about playing it is they'll throw down two grenades and watch somebody double blow up. And so like the first explosion goes off and the next one th- sends them further up in the air. And just it's a fun game if you want to make it fun. And that's kind of why I like this game as much as I do, because you can kind of just do random stuff. And it's just that kind of fun game that I enjoy. But there's also a story component, like if you want to kind of like the action movie kind of story, conspiracy and, you know, black ops government stuff and all the, you know, typical thriller type movie that you would get. But the gameplay is solid. Do note the online component was shut off recently by Ubisoft and it does use Ubisoft Connect, which can be hit or miss. Uh, Generically, if you get it through Steam, it will link to your Ubisoft account. Just log in using your Steam account. So that way it just bypasses a lot of the Ubisoft stuff. But those are really the only caveats as far as the overall game. And it's on sale for like $750 right now as of like today recording anyway whether or not when it goes out that's another story <laughs> yeah because i was gonna say now is it going to be on sale when the show goes out offer ends october 17th this show will go out on the 19th so unfortunately <laughs> it will not be on sale when the show goes out way to go matt oh you know it's not a 30 dollars <laughs> game i will say that but it goes on sale quite frequently so put on your watch list wish list not watch list yes. wish list so if you can pick it up on sale definitely worth it if it's not on sale not worth the 30 dollars that they're asking for it and you say it's not worth that just because it's pretty standard gameplay or why isn't it worth that normal price point ubisoft made a big mercenaries versus like stealth component to the online component to the game and they recently shut that off you have to also deal with the headaches of ubisoft connect which is like ubisoft's like third-party launcher nonsense think ea origin or you know epic game store kind of nonsense but just a publisher specific version those are part of the reason why i say it's not really a full bore like yeah go buy it at 30 bucks because you know it's usually what it costs 
But if it's on sale, the single player experience is worth it. There's enough variety in the gameplay and kind of how you approach things. And you can get really inventive with the in-game story kind of gameplay stuff and just kind of have some fun with it. This style of game is definitely up Magneto's alley. He is not one to want to play multiplayer games. So the fact that that part's been shut down, he really would not care about. So if this is running really well on a Linux system... Then this is one we have to check out. One of his other favorites, and I don't think it likes this graphics card. I really don't think it likes the Vega 64 because it was running just fine with the RX 580, but it's crashing with the 64, and I haven't had time to kind of dig in and play with it, but I think it's the Wingman game that hasn't been playing very well with this graphics card. The Project Wingman game? Yeah. Well, there's two recommendations. If you want a more realistic less simmy type game um, project wingman is actually really good too it's less ace combat <laughs> it's more falcon 4.0 for nate if you want the uber old school reference well 1998 that's still too new <laughs> <laughs> by the way ea was a great games publisher on the commodore 64 just so you're aware ea was until they weren't <laughs> <laughs> that's the short version of ea like i said that was the last week where we talked about google And I was like, Google's worse than EA. I'm not wrong. So Nate, while I am busy playing Black Ops type video games, you are trying to sneakily do some challenges of your own apparently for Linux Saloon. Well, it wasn't sneaky. It was very much out in the open. What we're doing is a desktop environment challenge. The idea was to do something that's very different or not common. And this one specifically is the not so common desktop environment, which is based off of the common desktop environment or CDE the first Unix desktop environment I used in 2002. It's so beautifully 90s that it's absolutely glorious. And it's in the official repository for OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. So it's there and ready to be installed and played with. And I have been playing with it on my laptop. It works pretty well. I have had it do some weirdness here and there. And then I remembered, oh, it was the 90s. So that's, of course, why it would behave like that. Although NSCDE is actually a not so common desktop environment. It basically just wraps some modern tools in the look of CDE. And I did find out uh, as I was corrected on the, the networks forum, Text Digital, that CDE is also open source now. So you could install the actual CDE. I just haven't been able to uh, do that successfully. So I'm running the not-so-common desktop environment. It's so 90s. I think you should check it out just because it is as fun as it is just playing with the old way of doing things. Nate, the old way of doing things is still the current way of doing things for you. Yes, which is why it's great. Yeah, I have to say I've actually pulled up some screenshots of this. And when you say it is like all 90s all the way, you are not kidding. That theme brings me back to the days of my younger school years. Holy moly. Yeah, it looks so like Full House or Family Matters, you know, from TGIF. Right. And it looks so very much like a desktop environment. I, I don't know. I just think it's absolutely just fantastic to look at. Fun to use that the teal and brown combinations. Ah, just beautiful. Remind me not to let you decorate my house. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't decorate my house like this. I wouldn't decorate my house, period. If you look at my house now, I haven't painted the walls and it's the we're selling the house look. So it's all very plain and white and, you know, neutral colors. So I, I wouldn't ever dare decorate my house. Good to know. All I'm going to say, Nate, if you're going down the rabbit hole of weird, esoteric desktop environments, go use UDE. UDE. I haven't heard of this. 
I'm gonna write this down. Unix desktop environment. I'll check that out. But Wendy, it looks like you found something new to play with and follow you along your fitness journey. That I have. I finally got to start lifting again. So last week I was full force into it using somebody else's program. And I absolutely love their programming. The downside of it, it is really made for using with a commercial gym. I don't have a lot of machines that is typically written into that. And so I have to spend the time adjusting my workout in order to fit. And I decided, you know, I'm going to start looking somewhere else to help me as I'm deciding what my workouts are going to look like. And this week was a perfect week to do it because I needed to retest my one rep maxes for squat, bench press, deadlift, and overhead press. You have a couple days where you're lifting really, really heavy. And then other than that, you're taking it pretty easy fitness level wise to make sure that you're fully healed and you can test those one rep maxes again to have the best idea of what they are. And then going into a program where you're plugging in those numbers and determining what your other lifts look like for the next 12 weeks or so. And on this, trying to find out how I was going to document what those workouts are going to be, putting in those numbers as far as what did I do, which I've been taking those notes on my tablet. I said I use it all the time. That's one of the things that I use it for is for punching in those numbers for workouts. I came across this open source fitness application that I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it has an amazing start. So this is called W-G-E-R. I don't know if there's a better way to pronounce that, but I know that that's probably the safest and easier way for you to look it up. Of course, there'll be links in the show notes. And there's two different ways that you can use this application right now. Directly from your browser, or there is a download for it on an Android-based application, you might be able to find it on... You might be able to find it on one of the mobile platforms as well as far as the open source ones. I don't know. I have not looked to see if that's in the repos there or not, but I know it is officially available for Android devices. Now, of all of the open source applications for fitness that I found, this one has some really, really cool things. First, you can lay out specific workouts and what day those are going to be. And you can build yourself out specific workout schedule. So I'm going to start the schedule on this day. It's going to run for X amount of weeks and be able to rotate those. You can put in your nutrition stuff. It has a body weight tracker if you want to. But I think my favorite things are being able to create workouts in it and then add logs based on those workouts. There was one power building program that I was going to go with. Yes, I like a combination of the power lifts and some hypertrophy type training. And so that's kind of the programming area I was going down. I found a really awesome one from Barbend that I put all of those workouts into the dashboard. It's set to start next week. And then I went ahead and changed my mind that I wanted to use a different program that is a little more focused on the exercises that I pick. So I'm working on my weak points with my one rep max numbers and rotating the intensity on different sections of those workouts. I can post that below as to the one that I'm going with. But because the one that I'm wanting to move to has a, essentially it's a different workout every single day. So we're using a certain intensity for the first three weeks, but we're rotating which intensity 
were using for, let's say, our heavy lifts, our accessory work, and the cardio type training. So this one's almost like powerlifting, a little bit of hypertrophy training, bodybuilding, and a bit of what I'd say almost CrossFit because you're not doing your cardio with a straight out run, though you could, but I prefer to do mine with weight. So it's kind of a combination of all of those. And because you're rotating every single day, this application isn't necessarily great for that because I'd have to make a new workout in the application every day and then go ahead and add a new log. So right now that's still going to be happening inside of a spreadsheet so I can keep track of those numbers. Just plug in what my one rep max is and have weights populated throughout the weeks for all of my lifts, which I think overall will make that one easier once I fully have the spreadsheet set up. But I love what they're doing with this. I would love to be able to add exercises to it. There was quite a few exercises in the barband program that I wanted to use or other ones that I really enjoy in the past programs that I've done that they don't have in this open source application yet. I did confirm my email address and they said that once you do that, you're able to add exercises to it. I do see an exercise drop down tab inside training. So I don't know if that's something that's coming. I don't know if there's another way that I can help in the back end in order to get some of these other workouts in. And then how else can I make it so that I can plug in my numbers for what my one rep maxes are and have that help me calculate that, okay, I want to go for three reps at 80% of my one rep max on this lift and have that kind of help self-populate when I'm going through my different workouts and what I want to use. Well, I think that's pretty darn awesome. I don't know what kind of spreadsheet your information you're looking to track, but I can share with you the spreadsheet I use to track my workouts, if that would be at all helpful. Yeah, that would definitely be awesome. This one that I'm putting together right now is pretty customized for the program itself. So I have the different waves and how much this program wants you lifting for your light, medium, and heavy, depending on the section, what that is. And then I have it set. So on my four main lifts, squat, deadlift, bench press, overhead press, I can just plug into the top of that what my one rep max is, and it'll calculate what that is for those three different sections. And then each wave how much you're lifting for light, medium, and heavy actually goes up. You're using a larger percentage of your one rep max on those days because, of course, the goal is to go up in weight. So the next time you test, your one rep max is heavier. This one right now is pretty customized. I now have a tab for week one where I'm pulling in all of those numbers and being able to relate back to the first sheet of the spreadsheet series in order to pull numbers from them. So it is taking a while to set up, but it is one and I will definitely share it once I have it finished. So if it's something that somebody else wants to do, all of the hard work of setting up the spreadsheet is done. But it would be nice if I could pull something like that into a program like this. I think it's absolutely awesome, especially if you are sticking with a program where you have three or four weeks or whatever, where you're doing exactly the same thing, or you're creating your own workouts every day and want to have those saved in an application like this. It really gives you control over what your workouts look like, what those numbers are, and you're not worried about so many of the other applications that are available in the fitness space 
space where, of course, they want your data, they want to sell you different supplements. And in this case, it's got a ton of functionality in it already, and you don't have to worry about your data going somewhere funky or them trying to sell you supplements and whatnot. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's good that there's some open source things out there for, for fitness and whatnot. I'm a big fan of the whole fitness thing. Really? I didn't know. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or contact us on the form by going to tuxdigital.com contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Linux Saloon, plus more at tuxdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting Tux Digital Merch Store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I Pause My Game to Be Here shirt or join hashtag Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. Nate and I got way off topic when it came to working out. So if you're not interested in that, go ahead and head off. The podcast is over. But if you are interested in the rest of our workout discussion, hang tight and here it goes. I'm a big fan of the whole fitness thing. Really? I didn't know. Yeah. I'm very excited. <laughs> I was able to be able to do overhead squats now. Not a whole lot of weight. Oh, heck yeah. It's cool to be able to actually do that and actually make some progress. But I have noticed that <clears throat> in my advanced age, I have some weeks where there is no max. Like I'm not even getting close to the max because of an injury right. or nagging something. It's nice to be able to track and see how you do over a period of time. I mean, I've been tracking my workout since 2008 and I have every week accounted for since. Seems like I should be in better shape if I've been tracking it that long. But, you know, we all have our genetics. We all have our genetics. We have plateaus that we hit. And so it can be hard to step out of those different plateaus, especially if you've been working out for a lot of years. I know when I started again, I hadn't really worked out much in like a year, probably a year and a half since I'd actually done a whole lot of working out. And so I do have numbers from before, but I really don't want to go back and look at them because I already know that I had lost a lot of strength. I already knew that I'd lost a lot of muscle tone with the weight loss that I'd had. I know this is kind of weird to say, like I had my weight loss when I wasn't working out instead of while working out. And it's because I was losing muscle mass, not lifting and losing bone mass because I was no longer under the same loads. And so at this point, I just want to train really hard for a little bit, actually start feeling more comfortable in some of the movements, and then I'll go back and look at those numbers and kind of set up a plan of where I want to be with those maxes here a couple months from now. I have different equipment now than I did when I was in a gym. But as far as like bench and everything else, I physically max probably, say probably about four years ago for like my bench, but like pull-ups and things like that, I actually maxed this year, but then, you know, an injury and had a nurse that injury for a while. Eh, you know, what can you do? Yeah, that's right. Things come and go. The bench press is actually one of my better lifts. I would love to say that it was the squat, but having hip surgery when I was little means that some of those movements actually take longer. Not working out for as long as I did means that 
there is much more digression in those muscles than I would even like to admit. Even though the bench press myself is not my favorite lift to do, it is definitely one of the ones where I have the most success. It's one of the easiest ones. And they're also fun. They are fun. <laughs> Lifting heavy is fun. It like is fun. I just can't express how much I love to lift heavy and how relaxing it is. To just step into the gym, so in this case it's my home gym, burn out some aggression by getting under some heavy weight, and then going about my day. I truly enjoy working out. I have to get my day started every day doing that, otherwise I just don't have a good day. I know, I definitely prefer it, and that's kind of one of the things that I don't necessarily like about some of these other workouts, especially the ones where the goal is to increase your one rep max, because it's saying like a four-day workout week. I'm going to try to squeeze it to five, but at the same time, make sure I'm recuperated enough to actually do some heavy lifts the next day because I do want to progress in how much weight that I'm lifting and the flexibility and mobility and getting under a good squat. I know when I tested my one rep max this time, I was very conscientious about not just getting through lifting the weight, but making sure that I was in the proper form in order to catch that weight because I'd like to get to the point that I'm able to do some of the Olympic lifts Mm -hmm. and your bottom position in those is so incredibly important and I don't want to cheat myself be like oh yeah my one rep max in the squat is this but then I couldn't actually do that in a snatch or a clean. Doing the Olympic lifting though, I really want a squat rack or I should probably just make one, I suppose. Right now, mine's a DIY one that I use for bench press and squatting. The downside of that is I don't have a safety on it. When I'm doing the one rep maxes or really the heavy lifts, I need to have someone come out and spot me, which my older daughter and my oldest son right now are more than capable of being able to come do. Like they get a little bored when I was testing one rep max on Monday for my squat and my bench press where they're just kind of hanging out until I reached that limit because I did push it until I literally could not stand up with it or could not physically get it pushed up anymore because I wanted to make sure that I did have that number. And it takes a while because, you know, you want to make sure that you have a full amount of rest in between those lifts so that the muscle has fully been recuperated and I have all of the energy there in order to try it again to once again make sure that it is a true one rep max. So I don't don't absolutely love it. I would love to get an actual really good like half rack, something like that, where I had the safety bars and could do those lifts without needing to have somebody come out and babysit me when I'm reaching for a PR. But, you know, it is what it is right now. I need more weight. I'm employing all of my metal. I'm out of weights. So I need more weight. Well, just come on over. (laughs) It may not be enough. I've got, uh, I think, a 300 pound set. So it depends on what you're squatting. Oh, I'm talking about for my bench. I need more weight for my bench. I don't have 300 oh, pounds. Oh, for your bench. Yeah. I only got 200 pounds. That's all I have. <laughs> <laughs>